0: So, so, do you only play Pokemon Go? Do you play any of uh, like, used- the main Pokemon?
1: I have Pokemon Red and Silver. And then I've played a little bit with my friends who, they're like my big friends who game. We just didn't game as much in my family because we were like always at swim meets. So, my mom was always like, no, you need to be physical active so we just didn't do it as much i like pokemon go i like pokemon i think it's good it is good i tend to get a lot of walking points in pokemon go like tonight i think i had eight kilometers or something i walked in six hours
0: um i'm asking this because pokemon sword and shield <laughs> the newest versions with all the new pokemon just come out um yeah, so I yes and i am obsessed who is your favorite pokemon don't give it too much thought
1: I always enjoy Squirtle, like that, that whole evolution. They tend to be my favorite. My favorite thing to do, because I don't know the names always, is to just describe Pokemon to my friends who play Pokemon in the most simplistic terms. <sighs> so I'll be like, you know, it's that one that kind of looks like a pig, then turns into a really angry hog, and normally people can get it. Embor? No, it's the... Uh, what is it on Pokemon Go? I
0: don't think that's the one. Pillow swine? Yes. Swine swine? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Um my I mean I have many favorites. Ninetales will always be a fave. And do you know that like how as the the most recent gen, they've taken some of the old pokemon and like kind of created this new idea where if it's in a different region of the pokemon world, they have different characteristics. So, oh, that's there's, so a nine, smart, though. there's a there's a Ninetales that's based off of the pokemon universe's version of hawaii where instead of it being like a fire type that's like a golden Mm. fox with red eyes it's ice fairy type that's white with like wispy tails
1: oh my god i love it it probably looks amazing it does
0: i will have to say though with the new pokemon i there's i haven't gotten it yet but there's a new pokemon that's a ghost in a tea cup no, a, tea, a teapot. There's a ghost in a oh, teapot, okay. and its name is Pultigeist, and that's just fantastic.
1: <laughs> it's great on so many levels.
0: Anyways, this is Relic, the Lost Treasure podcast, kind of. This is the trove. Uh, for those who are new listeners, I try to do an episode of Relic bi-weekly or fortnightly, as we say here in Australia. That takes a lot of time and energy, and I have a life. But I also love doing this podcast and I love talking about history and weird stuff with listeners and I like talking to people on Twitter. So I wanted to start to do more content. So Courtney has been amazing in doing this little uh, off week series called The Trove, which is really just about what's going on in the world of archaeology and weirdness. So to that extent, Courtney has a little bit of a longer story. This episode. Yes. So um, I'm going to do a short one first and then we're going to go into that. Sound cool? Sounds great. Okay. So mine is the... They've just found a lost city. So a lost treasure is no longer lost. And this is the lost city of Mahendra Pavarta. It's from Cambodia. It was the, one of the preeminent cities of the Khmer Empire in Cambodia. It was founded by arguably the leader of the uh, Khmer Empire, which gave birth to Cambodia as the successors. Uh, his name was Jayavarman II. I'm gonna just butcher this cambodian not a language <laughs> i'm familiar with uh yeah. i do know that 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 Jayavarman Jaya the second is a leader in the new civilization six expansion so fun fact and that's coming oh, out i need soon. to get on
1: that and play yes like that.
0: well the new expansion's coming out so you got to uh yeah. you can play a lot of cool people in that and the music is amazing so Anyways, this, is the, this was a city that was rumored to be in the jungle, but no one ever found it. So, of course, Angkor Wat is the famous site that mm. looks very large and pretty and intimidating in the jungle. It is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's very famous. They knew about that, but they also have been for years looking for this other city, which was complicated because Cambodia hasn't in the last 50 years been the most stable there was just
1: just slightly
0: a guy named Pol Pot who kind of ruined that for a while and there were because of the Khmer Rouge who considered themselves kind of the rebirth of ancient Cambodianism like the red mm-hmm. Khmer's there were a lot of landmines in the jungle and there were a lot of landmines around this very inaccessible remote territory where they thought the jungle might this in the sorry the, the lost city in the jungle might be well thanks to technology like drones and such they've managed to find it at last so they thought they found it in 2012. They did and it via drones? I think so so they've, they they oh, yeah. mapped it out like you can look at like a satellite image of this and it's actually like 25 miles outside of Angkor Wat so it's not that far.
1: Okay just because I I did some georeferencing like satellite imagery classes so I'm just it just always fascinates me when it I is. do that. and
0: it's, I wish it's... I could have taken those classes too uh so they used airborne laser scanning that had the unique ability to see through vegetation and provide high resolution models of the forest floor which this report from cnn travel says so it sounds like it
1: yeah it's lidar it's uh yeah you use lidar it basically can read through the vegetation that's how they they're finding a lot of things in like central america and south america as well
0: well yeah because isn't there some discussion about finding all these like rumored like mysterious lost cities quote unquote of south america like the lost city of z and like Mm -hmm. the monkey god city all that stuff like yeah the white city or whatever
1: yeah lidar i didn't get to play around with it as much um can you explain how it works it's been it's been a while let me let me just pull it up so i make sure i'm not can, you can get lidar from the planes and like it's uva capture imagery so before like they did a lot of planes you can i think they're putting it on satellites now and on drones as well so it just reads the different sensors of lidar but because it's uv it can go through vegetation that's a big thing cuz a lot of stuff um, you can't – it's hard to go through vegetation, so you have to wait for winter. And so, like, if you go on Google Earth and or even Google Maps and you play around and see, like, the different time periods when it is, you can see, like, the different vegetation shows you different things. My last job, um, I used a lot of, like, remote imaging to figure out if people have, like, sheds or stuff like that because you can see quickly – Um, what's based what they're based on whether or not there's vegetation or not well lidar works really well in sectors for like mining surveying forestry corridor mapping so because of the the ability to from the uv so
0: yeah because all these places are in the middle of vast jungles which yeah hide a lot of things so the kicker of this whole thing that you know aside from finding a lost city that was this like former capital of the khmer empire they discovered the city had kind of a grid system, which seems like something we take for granted nowadays, but is a huge oh, yeah. deal when you look at the ancient world. So the city was mapped out possibly in cardinal directions, which mm. means that it was kind of an example of early urban planning. There was a hydraulic system in place there. The it was on uh, the city was built on linear axes, so. You know, it's essentially it's planned and settled and efficient. And I mean, this is just kind of the tip of the iceberg, potentially. So who knows what else they're going to be able to find there Um, once they
1: get there. That's the key thing. They have to get there. Mm -hmm. If that's if that's anything with a Josh Gates uh, show. um,
0: Expedition Unknown.
1: Yeah, where they have they try to find things. But the hardest part is sometimes just getting to the site because it's so far out of the way
0: that is the case i think they're gonna have to have boots in the ground to really look into what's going on um but yeah it's a good first step anyways what's your story
1: so i found a great national geographic video and article on looking for slave ships and like to help african americans rediscover their ancestors so we have portugal slave ship São Jose Paque de Africa, it sails from Mozambique in 1794, destined for Brazil, which, in case you don't know, was one of the last North American countries to have, um, Western Hemisphere countries to have slaves.
0: Besides the U.S.
1: No, they were after the U.S. They were, they were the only one after us.
0: Really? So the U.S. wasn't the last country no. to own slaves. It was Brazil.
1: It was Brazil, yeah.
0: Hmm. When did that end?
1: So, eighteen eighty-eight. So about twenty years after. Wow. The U.S.
0: That's insane. I know
1: it's it's and crazy upsetting. to think about that. Yeah, it's so. I mean, they also were a big sugar country, so oh. in a, in a case it makes sense. The ship becomes wedged between two coral reefs off Cape Town, South Africa, breaks a ha- breaks in half. And basically, 212 out of 500 slaves are killed. Quote, before I even got to it, I began to get sort of goosebumps in a sense, get, in, getting in a sense of tragedy. And quote, says uh, Kamu Sariki, who's a dive instructor for Diving with a Purpose. It's a maritime archaeology program where divers search for slave wrecks and help with the discovery and verification of the San Sa- Jose. So, like, this whole company's purpose is to teach you how to dive, but they also try to find these slave wrecks, And they are trying to find the historical troops of the people on board, like the San, o- San Jose, who were transported African enslaved Africans. The group works to unearth, reconstruct, and resurrect maritime history of Africa and the African Des- Despera. So, basically, Africa and then the movement of Africans out of Africa – this tends to be I think thought of the transatlantic slave trade and the trade to uh, Southeast Asia. So they're really focusing on the 400th anniversary of the transatlantic slave trade. Um, they talk about, and this is like, this is why all of this is coming up again. They talk about the first Africans arriving in Point Comfort, Virginia, now Hampton, the subject of the new New York Times podcast on top of it. They have the San Jose Paquete de Africa is the first vessel confirmed to be carrying enslaved human cargo when it sank. They have artifacts retrieved from uh, San Jose displayed in Washington, D.C. at the Smithsonian National Museum of African History and Culture. They have the iron ballast used to counterbalance the weight of human weight aboard the ship. The remnants of shackles, wooden pulleys of um, lives on board which is just crazy to think all of that has remained because if it intact, if, intact. Yeah. So the expertise of the DWP is essentially to work on slave racks project, which well, I think is crazy. It's a group of organizations trying to explore the history and telling of stories of 12.5 million enslaved Africans. It was it launched in 2008 and it's working with um, George Washington University izoko museums of south africa the u.s park service national park service and others again like i said it's coming up because it's 400th anniversary that we know of the start of this which is really upsetting but i think it's important because they're searching for wrecks across the globe to bring back memories of those voyages one time at a time as uh, paul Gardillo states and they also are looking for the unknown yet unverified wreck of the pirate pirate ship guerrero um it was bound for Cuba in 1827, wrecked, killing 41 of 541 enslaved Africans, um, and it's really one of those undocumented shipwrecks, mostly believed to be slave ships, embedded along the coast of the Florida Keys, but the problem was, as most people know, in humanities getting funding. So, Biscayne National Park had one maritime archaeologist who could not die for and document ships alone, and so she asked Stuart for help, and he realizes, hey... There's a lot of people who love diving and loves history. Let's get this going. And this is really going to be a new field. Like, maritime history and, like, doing this stuff isn't new. But bringing a lot of new divers in is going to be the key thing that this is coming upon. So, who really is, like, owning these stories? Because, you know, the Sao Jose, it's, well, it's a South American and Mozambican story, but it's also a Brazilian story because people who are aboard it end up in Brazil. And so, like, there's so many layers to it, which I think is really interesting that they're trying to recover through underwater archaeology. They're working on training Mozambican community to monitor, educate, reclaim their maritime heritage, and protect the sites from piracy, which we've often talked, you and I have often talked about. It. Like, the piracy is often the problem in this case. Right. They've also confirmed the slave ship Wanderer off the eastern coast of Cuba, the Dutch ship Luciden, which sank with more than 700 Africans deliberately sealed in the hull before the captain and crew abandoned the ship. And so much time has passed. We don't know how many people are aboard it. So, like, no one's had, like, how do you grieve for someone when you don't even know they're gone? So Diving with a Purpose hopes that it will lead to more discovery of undocumented shipwrecks help people better understand what happened to their ancestors. So I think that's kind of pretty amazing to use yeah. archaeology and maritime history and bring in people who are experienced diving to start documenting them. And especially with African, the African diaspora, it's been explored in several ways, but the I don't think the shipwreck aspect has. There's been a couple cases that are really popular, but other than that i don't know of any yeah that's my I don't that's fascinating sad, sad. kind of cool very tragic
0: i like to say my mm. last story is kind of on both it's on a lighter note but also a depressing note because of the content and i know it's well past halloween but um, it will it feels right for that season so this is a BBC story that BBC travel story that came out just this week. And it was about a journalist who went to the capital city, the new capital city of Myanmar, uh, also known as Burma. And this capital is called, again, not good with my Burmese, but Nai I believe is how you say it. Uh now Myanmar the capital moved rather abruptly and not f- kind of mysteriously from the former city of Yangon to this new capital. Now this new capital is was basically created unlike most capital cities to be specifically serve as a municipal uh designation. So it's a weird place where there's it's not a lot of people. It's very sparsely populated. It's very vast. It's very flat. There's really just government buildings there. It's a little weird. Now, the reasons why they did this, and this was only like 10, maybe 14 years ago, is because they were... Fair, they were afraid of being invaded From the sea mm-hmm. for some reason um, And some other Just kind of political reasonings But also that the soothsayers Because this is a very mm-hmm. spiritual country Said that if they didn't move the capital Then the regime Their regime would fall so Myanmar has gone through a lot of weird Militaristic regime mm-hmm. changes There's a currently a genocide going on there right now From, as I understand, a new regime that came into power That was previously being suppressed Do you yeah, know much so about that? Yeah, so it's the
1: Rohingya mas- uh, genocide That's currently happening And it is, I believe I know BBC just published that they are going to be prosecuted for war crimes So the Rohingyas are a Muslim subsect <laughs> that live there and they're just uh, it's they're so small that like it shouldn't matter that they're there but um right wasn't it so Aung su was that her name she is now president i believed i believe um and there was a mil i believe it was a military dictatorship and it's like change it's supposed to be a democracy now she ang su won i believe like the nobel peace prize like so the fact that this is happening is very confrontational. Like people are like, what does this mean? Um, because it shows that, Hey, maybe the military, like this, these issues that we thought they were done with are still there. Cause I mean, people forget it takes a long time to change over a government, get every, like, get the ideas changed, get the systems changed. And so.
0: Was she the one who was under house arrest for like a million years? Yes. Cause I remember being in like fifth or sixth grade And my teacher just basically kind of throwing himself across a desk over how she was this, like, saintly person who had been oppressed by this government. And, like, that's what we were taught. And so when she was freed, everyone seemed kind of really jazzed about it. And then all this stuff about the genocide came out. And you're like, oh, so this wasn't the angel that I was, like, brought up to believe. Like, And I don't know if that was just kind of misinformation by way of, like, small town Connecticut or there was some kind of, like u.s patriotism or some conservatism that might have clouded that teacher's judgment but i just remember Mm -hmm. the only thing we knew about myanmar was there was this terrible army and this really nice lady in a house who couldn't leave the house and that was her
1: yeah suki was like i mean there's a difference she wasn't in power like she's under house arrest she was just if you think about she was trying to bring about change yeah but she wasn't a power, so like it's harder to criticize someone who's not in power. And yeah, they took out the military junta, but it seems like They want to take away her yeah, Peace she Prize was, though, don't they? Rachel. Yeah, I believe. Well,
0: probably well deserved to take it yeah. away. <gasps>
1: um, yeah, so it's it's very I mean, that's all I plan to cover this eventually. I'm following it, but it's like really hard to get away from their military junta and the military system that's that was in place that they right. had for so many years.
0: So, anyways, that's just to cover a little bit of the context here with Myanmar. So there was this big move and one of the major issues was they had to move the cemeteries, kind of like oh, yeah. poltergeist. Well, <laughs> they could move the gri- they can move like the bodies physically, but they had to come back for the ghosts. Cause in Myanmar belief Ghosts aren't just kind of, like, they turn into kind of, like, transparent versions of, like, you or I when there's ghosts. They're these two-meter-high, giant, kind of monstrous things with, like, long ears and tusks. And they're, like, unruly. And they usually come about because of trauma or tragedy or violent ends. Now, the problem with this is in this capital city, there were all these Japanese war dead from the war who were there. So they thought, like, these... there's basically a bunch of these ghosts they have to like relocate as well independent of the bodies yeah so the captain of the burmese army met this journalist and was basically like yeah you know we have to get people like whoopi goldberg to like help out and the journalist turned to the translator and was like i'm sorry did he just say whoopi goldberg and the, the translator was like yes he did And I'm confused. And it means that he basically was like, the captain is a huge fan of the Patrick Swayze, Whoopi Goldberg and Demi Moore movie Ghost, in which Whoopi Goldberg plays a psychic. So he was trying to kind of frame it for a Western audience that there are these spiritual practitioners in Myanmar who are tasked with, they can see ghosts and they can shepherd them along. So they basically had to hire a bunch of these exorcists called Mm -hmm. nazia or spirit masters nazia nazia to put the ghosts like shepherd them like cattle onto trucks and then move them to the new relocated area and apparently they're heavy and so they could only do this as at a few trucks at a time and the trucks kept breaking down because well realistically probably not the best infrastructure but yeah. also no one really could figure out why it was breaking down and so they thought they had gotten all of them all these ghosts who apparently would fight over like getting shotgun with to like ride up front it was very bizarre and really interesting this article but that one of the the I think lay people who was assisting in this very uh curious endeavor had a dream that three of the ghosts approached him and was like, you left us behind. And sure enough, they went back and there were like three undiscovered graves that they, um, that they didn't do. And so they had to get a special, like a super priest to kind of come in (laughs) and help them out. So the journalist met the priest and was like, oh, so, like, what did you do? And this priest was like, well, I'm a devotee of basically the the goddess of death. And she and I are in excellent ter- terms. She She's chairman of the board, he says. She's in charge of all the other graveyard spirits in Myanmar. She's very clean and beautiful. And she comes to him and dreams and basically is like, what do you need? Because apparently they're, like, homies. And yeah. she helped him kind of exercise the ghosts and bring them to their new resting place. And the journalist was like, this is so weird. But then he was kind of driving out of the city and noticed that his gas was running low and he was kind of just like in the middle of nowhere and this really vast empty city that itself was a ghost town. And yeah. it was like, Oh, I could totally see why people do believe this here. Mm-hmm. And so that was just like, it's not really archaeological well, it is What because archeological is you're removing graves and you are, you know, yeah. kind of discovering these old war dead. And it does call into question, like how do we treat, you know, the dead and how do we reallocate them in a way? And so this is very interesting kind of, Comic, you know, sort of lighthearted tale about a dark subject matter and all of the, you know, which goes into that. And everyone they speak to in the story is really like lighthearted and like, oh yeah, we believe this, but in a very kind of dia de los muertos, mm-hmm. you know, the relationship with the afterlife is a little bit more, um, it's not as somber as we yeah. see it in the West. And, like, kind of being, like, close to the spirits in a way where they're, like, your friends or they're your wards mm-hmm. or, like, speaking to this goddess of death as if she's, like, you know, your, your boss but also, like, your good friend that you're on good terms with. I just thought that was beautiful. Oh, so yeah. so it's just really interesting in the midst of this country that's going through all this tragedy
1: that there's kind of this dialogue about about the dead. Oh, oh yeah. No, that's crazy to think about, like, yeah, you got to move the dead to build this city. Yeah.
0: Well, at least they didn't like pave over over the cemeteries because that apparently would have been a, even worse for all parties involved.
1: Oh yeah. Then you have these giant ghosts in the middle of the street. Yeah. What if you hit one?
0: Yeah, because they say they're like big. So.
1: Yeah, two meters. Um,
0: I know Thailand has a similar kind of belief in the ghosts. Being what are they, Two
1: meters that's three feet, three four feet. Is that it?
0: I think two meters. Wow metric system um it's more than i think an average human let's find out six
1: and five like six six
0: yeah so they're tall like big ghosts
1: so imagine imagine an nba basketball player that's terrifying
0: and they talked about having to make like trips over a course of three days and the amount of trips was 108 trips and that's a lucky number in buddhism because it's i think has something to do with the Buddha. I I think it's something with the amount of scriptures or the...
1: Was it like days he meditated or something? It
0: might have been. I'm trying to find it and vamping for time...
1: that's the problem with snowballs
0: okay so clearly a ghost knocked over my mic but um 108 is to put it lightly kind of the Fibonacci sequence of Buddhism is how I yeah um it's more complicated than that but I don't have time anyways that was interesting um Courtney where can people find you (laughs)
1: You can find me on all podcatchers for The Cult of Domesticity on Facebook and Twitter at Domestic Podcasts and on Instagram at The Cult of Domesticity.
0: Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, try not to get haunted out there. See you next week. Bye. Bye.